Um, so I want to, as Carlin mentioned, I want to talk about the call of God uh, this morning. And, and, you know, when we talk about the call of God, th- there's, there's a lot of specific instances uh, in Scripture where God met and called individuals. If, if you just kind of go through all of Scripture and just keep looking for that, like it's, you see it with Abraham, you see it with Moses, you see it with Samuel, you see it with Isaiah, you see it with Ezekiel, you see it with Nehemiah, you see it with Jeremiah. And, you know, there, there's even, those are really explicit calls. Uh, and, and then there's even more less explicit, but certainly people who are called um, by God. I, I would even say people like Ruth, people like Esther. Uh, there's just a host throughout all of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, or Old Testament, sorry, where you see God calling people specifically. And then you, you fast forward to the New Testament, and what we see right off the, the hop with the New Testament is that Jesus calls his disciples. When, when Jesus comes and he calls them, it's, it's very intentional, it's very specific, and it's very personal. He calls them to follow him. And then, and then as we move in the account of, of you know, the good news of Jesus and, and it going out after Jesus' resurrection, then we meet this guy at the beginning of Acts. We meet this guy named Saul, and who came to be known as the Apostle Paul. Now, again, actually, he didn't actually get a name change. That Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. So he kind of went by both. But we meet this guy, Saul, Paul, One who also experienced a very specific call from God. And and more specifically, he he experienced the call of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I and I wanna I wanna suggest to us this morning that this phenomenon of being called by God that we see throughout Scripture is not unique or only held for certain people. Like somehow it's only the elite ones that get called and the rest of us kind of just stumble into it. It's not that at all. I I would suggest that rather the call of God is prevalent throughout all scripture, all the way through, because it's meant to encourage us to see that this is how God works in his people. For all of us. And, And you know, the thing about Paul, and we're going to get into it, but the the story of Paul has been so romanticized somewhat in Christian circles, if I can call it that, that I don't know sometimes if we think it's relatable to us. Like we we just, we we hold up the the account of Paul and we go like, whoa. And and my conviction is, and, and what I want to put to us this morning is that Paul is not an outlier. And what I mean by that is that I I want us to guard against the perspective that would look at Paul as some ultimate example of a Christian that we place on this some sort of pedestal, but we don't think is really relatable to us, just normal folk. You know, like sort of like, like Paul's this radical, like he's this super duper Christian of sorts, but he doesn't represent most. And, and, and the thing is, and what, I, what, I, what we'll see, and, and what you see if you really go throughout the New Testament, is that Paul didn't see himself that way at all. That's not how Paul presented himself to, to the early church at all. In fact, he saw himself as an example that to be followed, and his response to Jesus as something to model. And, and to understand Paul, 
to understand what drove him, what empowered him, reveals the impact of the gospel. It reveals the lordship of Jesus and, and the effect that it has on our lives. So Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's his own words. That's how he presented himself. He, he trained under one of the leading rabbis of the time. He was a student of scripture. He would have had the entire Old Testament memorized. Just think about that for a second. How many of you have the entire Old Testament memorized? Not me. Anyone else? <laughs> that he did. And as he, as he grew up, Paul rose in the ranks of the Jewish religious leaders. So he was, he was the guy. And so as an educated religious leader, now think like biblical scholar. That, that's kind of relatable. He's like a biblical scholar. And, and so he saw God's deliverance of his people from Egypt and the subsequent giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the whole thing that kind of, you know, uh, the foundation of the Jewish faith. He saw that as an extravagant act of grace, as a rabbi, as a Pharisee. And so the giving of the law was grace. The establishing of the eternal covenant with his people was grace. And the call that Paul had was to pursue the holiness of God. And his calling of a Pharisee, as a Pharisee was then to keep God's people within the boundaries of this law to protect God's glory. So if you think of like this law, if there was like lines on either side, Paul saw himself as a Pharisee. His job was keep people within these lines because this is about God's glory. And so this, this changes the way that we see Saul because Saul's pursuit of the early church was the result of his zeal for God's holiness, actually. Right now, I, I don't know what you think. Like, as a young kid, there was these, I remember these graphic novels, Christian graphic novels that I, that I had, or at least I read. And I remember Paul being presented in them as sort of this out-of-control murderous thug going after the Christians. Like he was just, like he was a bad dude. And, I, and, I, and that's always stuck with me, right? And, and I think sometimes that we can have that view of Saul. Like he was this out of control zealot that was just bent on murder. But actually, he was passionately committed to God's glory. Jews who were following Jesus were leaving the holy covenant and they were defiling God's people. That's how he would have understood what was happening with the early church. These people were going outside the bounds and they needed to be brought back. And if they weren't going to be brought back, then they needed to be punished. So, yeah, like in hindsight, we have the benefit of, of seeing, okay, Paul was really misguided in that. But understanding his zeal actually at the time, I would suggest actually makes the gospel all that more glorious. And so, when, this, when the Damascus Road experience confronts Paul that we see in Acts 9, you ever think about that? At, at that moment, when that happens, the heavens open up, bright lights, whatever, whatever that looks like, it's very possible that Paul in that moment was expecting God to come down and commission him like Isaiah or Ezekiel. Like, like God had done before. He was going to be commissioned for God's work. Right? Because after all, he was doing God's work to protect his glory. 
And so to understand Saul as the Pharisee and how much his life was defined by this and this identity helps us to realize that the Damascus Road experience where Jesus came and identified and showed himself to Paul, that absolutely shook him. Like absolutely rocked his worldview. In fact, what, what did Paul do after that? He went for three years into Arabia. All, all he did for three years was come to grips with what he had seen and what was happening. That this crucified Galilean was the risen Messiah. That, that For Paul, that was like, that shook him. And so the Apostle Paul then, that we read of in the New Testament through his letters, is a man who has been absolutely broken. He's been absolutely transformed and it's because he met Jesus. And he's not, as I said before, he's not an outlier. He never saw himself as that. He said, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. And so I wanna, I wanna briefly this morning, I wanna hear Paul in his own words. And maybe this context changes this a little bit for us as he writes to the Philippian church, explaining how he sees his relationship with Jesus and its call to us. See, Paul, he's explaining to the Philippians here the reasons why he could claim confidence in his own accomplishments. He, he, he starts off by saying, he's like, I was accomplished like few were as a Jew. He was intellectual, he was successful, he was renowned by his peers. It, there was a zeal for God's righteousness that was marked in him by outstanding character. In the eyes of the Jewish world that he was in, Paul would have had few equals. He would have been esteemed by those around him. And, and so consider how his identity was tied up in who he was and what he did. But Paul's encounter with Jesus, it led him to write this. And I want to read then, pick it up in Philippians 3 verse 7. This is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, I, I want to pray this morning that you would open up my eyes, open up our eyes to see the glory and the wonder in this, to, to understand what you were revealing to Paul as he wrote these words and as he was coming to grips with the magnitude of who you are, Jesus, and what it meant for his life. And I pray 
Lord, that this would shake us like it shook Paul. And we pray, God, that this would be for your glory and our good. Amen. You know, when you read Paul's letters, you find that the lordship of Jesus becomes absolutely central to his life, that Jesus is over him. Paul's encounter on the Damascus Road led him to recognize that Jesus' authority over all things was an absolute certainty. He had met him. He knew who he was. And it changed everything for him. And and that's not overstating it in the least, right? and, And Paul, this is the thing, Paul never lost that zeal. The zeal that he had as a Pharisee was never lost. God took that zeal and just aligned it to truth. And Paul passionately wanted to see God's glory proclaimed and displayed. And when, and when Paul saw God's glory was perfectly displayed in Jesus, there was no other way when he saw that. His life was then completely yielded, completely submitted. And out of this encounter here, with Jesus, there, there comes three desires here that Paul speaks of that really defines the call of Jesus on him and, and for the rest of his life and is our example to follow as well. I want to just highlight these this morning. So the first desire that Paul speaks of here is to gain Christ above all else. And, and in referring to his accomplishments in his life, And all that he had achieved, which they were impressive. What Paul, who he was and what he had accomplished was impressive. And and you think of a renowned college professor at the top of his field. And Paul says that he counts it all as garbage. (laughs) It's a strong word he's actually using here. The word, it also means, it can be translated rubbish. In the Greek, it literally means dung or excrement. He's saying, everything I did in comparison, when I add it all up, it's garbage. He says, whatever gain, gains he had, and the wording there is plural. So he's, he's, meaning he's counted up everything that he had. All the gains he's made in his life. Forgetting nothing. Excluding nothing. Omitting nothing. And he's like, when I'm adding it all up, it equals loss in comparison to Jesus. And there's, there's no hint here of Paul taking pride in his life. He actually looks over the totality of his life. And remember, he's writing this near, he's getting near closer to the end of his life. So he's, he's looking back and he's, he's looking over his life and he's like, everything he had before Christ and everything since. And he's saying it's all loss because of the depth of what he's found in Jesus, my Messiah, my Lord. And in light, he says, of the depths of Jesus, there's, there's no greater calling, there's no greater purpose than to live then totally submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. The worth of Jesus surpasses everything. It goes way beyond anything that we could accomplish, anything that we could attain. And so, whatever this world seemingly can offer us, presenting as desirable stuff to be sought after, 
long, a long, 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 long list. Paul says to gain Jesus is infinitely greater and surpasses it all. It's, it's interesting that you know, Paul, he doesn't add up his life. And, and I, you know, we could make some allowances for this where you know, he would add up his life. He'd look at all of his achievements, his impressive moral and religious accomplishments, and he could even justify why he did what he did. He wasn't aware. He was seeking after the Lord. And, and, and then he could place Jesus at the top rung of that ladder. You know, sort of like Jesus is the cherry on top, that he's the thing. But, uh, you know, that, that he's the top of, of an impressive life. But he, he doesn't do that. In fact, what Paul does is he rips it down. In fact, he says as much in Galatians 2.18. He says, I tore down what I previously had built to try and gain worth and purpose. So all that stuff that I had built up in my life for worth and purpose, he's like, it's all, I tore it down. It lies in ruin. All that I did apart from Christ, it was flesh. It may have looked good, but it was flesh apart from Jesus. And so the question then is, okay, so what, what defines Paul's life now? What does he say? Well, he says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and this loss that Paul experienced Again, it came with suffering, folks. The loss that Paul experienced, he suffered for Jesus' sake. We cannot disregard the reality of suffering in our lives as we consider the surpassing worth of knowing that Jesus is worth everything. Paul suffered for Jesus. He gave up much for Jesus. He didn't want anything to hold him back from his pursuit of Jesus. It's one reason why comfort and complacency is just so dangerous for us. And, and yet, and this is what's so remarkable, Paul's understanding of suffering is extremely positive. There is nothing in it, nothing that he experienced when you look at it, he did not see as being from Jesus and for Jesus. That's how he regarded all of it. All the struggles, all the difficulties, all the trials, all the setbacks, all the physical punishment he took, all of the stuff that didn't work out, sickness, everything that he encountered, everything he saw as a door into the richness of Jesus. And so now this, this leaves a question before us, right? Because I think we can, we can hear these words and they can become sort of philosophical. For, to us, like they can become ideological, like it, it sounds nice, and but but like where does it hit our lives? And 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 so Jesus is worth everything, and do we see everything ultimately as loss or garbage? Paul says in relation to him. Now, this this leaves us kind of in a question of like, okay, is the takeaway that I'm to look at everything in my life and go, it's all garbage. Like everything right now in my life is just garbage. 
Well, I, no, I don't, I don't think that's what Paul's saying. That, that wouldn't leave us in a good place. Right? Remember when Jesus, in the Gospels, where he talks about uh, our love for him and following him, and he says that, that we have to actually hate our family? Anyone, you know what I'm talking about there, where, it's, where Jesus talks about that? Where he says you, you have to hate your family, and you go, why would Jesus say that? What, Paul's doing the same thing here. Where he's saying, look, in relation to the majesty of Jesus, in relation to how incredible Jesus is, to, in, in relation to his worth that we cannot even fathom, in relation to that, everything else is garbage. Okay? No, not that, like, oh, my life is garbage and everything's garbage. No. But in comparison, Paul didn't know how to compare the magnitude of Jesus. With this. Same as Jesus is like, look, your love for me is, it has to be to the extent that it actually, your love on this earth is like hate. Because the, the, the difference is so vast. So it's not about, you know, we should be sitting here and going, okay, let's feel guilty about enjoying our life. Let's feel guilty about enjoying our family. Let's feel guilty about our interests that we have because, you know, that's, that's all it's supposed to be all garbage. No, 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 it's not that. We're invited to see how amazing and glorious Jesus is in comparison. That he is infinitely, 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 infinitely greater. And in light of the magnitude of knowing Jesus, that we know him, that we're saved, redeemed, set free, how could I ever then look at my life and think somehow that it's like, that, that that's sufficient? How could anything else be seen as comparable? For Paul to gain Jesus was so that he would be found in him. That's the second desire that he speaks of here, to be found in Christ, receiving his righteousness. Verse 9. Our, our, and, and the thing is, okay, our desire to be found in Christ begins with the truth that we were f- first found in Christ. That it didn't, it didn't start with us, it started with God. It began with God's goodness in calling us. Before the foundation of the world, it says, he knew us. So in Philippians 2.8, Paul, he speaks of Jesus being found in human form. Humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. And for Paul, the realization of Jesus' glory, Jesus' sacrifice, leads him to conclude that he must identify with the same example. And so he says here, I I want to be found in him. I want to be found in him. That means that that no level of his own righteousness, which he had pursued his own righteousness for years according to the law. He was, by by the law, he was so righteous. And he's like, no, no, I I don't want my own, I, I do not want to be found looking to my own righteousness. Nothing that we can do, nothing, nothing, nothing can ever make us good enough. Nothing. 
I, I cannot rely on my perceived goodness. Whatever my perceived goodness is, man, if I'm relying on that, I'm in trouble. And, and that's what shook Paul. And, and it's liberating truth. This is liberating truth for us. I don't have to strive for my own righteousness and I don't have to live in fear that I don't meet the mark or that I haven't hit the bar or whatever that is. It's Jesus' righteousness that covers us as part of our faith in him. I am covered by him. So here's the thing about this. Then we can be vulnerable about our weaknesses, folks. We can be vulnerable about where we're at, where we know we don't meet the mark, where we're not dependent on our own achievement. And, and, but here's the thing. We're not inclined to this. I, I, we don't like to be open about our weakness. I don't. We, we, we are told we must display and project success. And this leads to distress in our lives. It actually leads to all manner of distress because we do fail and we have weakness and we know it. And we all need a place where we can be real without shame or judgment and go, this is where I'm really at. This is who I really am. And no, I don't meet the mark. And I really need help. But God. And amidst a culture that worships success and achievement as the highest form of contentment, like the highest form, the cross preaches weakness and calls us to surrender and sacrifice. It's why the Jewish people went, this is foolishness. Or sorry, the Greeks went, this is foolishness. The Jews were like, this is a stumbling block. And here's the incredible thing. In our weakness and vulnerability, we come to see that knowing Jesus and being found in him is the greatest treasure we could ever find. You know why? You know why? Because hard things reveal the depth of our need for Jesus. When things aren't going well, we realize how badly we are in a state. And the cross calls us to total dependence on Christ and to, eternal, to the assurance in the eternal faithfulness of God. Even when we are not faithful, when we are faithless, it says, he remains faithful. Like his faithfulness never ends. And so what this does is it frees us from a life of striving, a life of fear, releases us to live trusting in the promises of God so we can find our joy and our peace in Jesus. This leads me to the third desire, the last one that Paul speaks of here. And that is to know Christ, becoming like him, Paul says in verse 10. So there, there's this progression here that Paul's sort of going to in his life. He's saying, he's, he's putting this forth in his pursuit of Jesus. 
We, de- we desire to gain Christ at the expense of all else so that we can be found in him, receiving his righteousness so that we might know Jesus, so that we might become like him. So, so to know, when Paul talks about here, to know, biblically to know is to, means the deepest form of intimacy. Adam knew Eve. To know biblically is not intellectual head knowledge. It's not that. We got to go from here to here. So it, it means to have knowledge, yes. And that practical application of that knowledge leads to changed lives when it gets to here because it leads to intimacy with God. Because the, the truth is to truly know something to the extent that our hearts are changed, if, for that to happen, it's got to be something that's deeply embedded in you. So to know Christ, again, it's, it's far more than intellectual knowledge. There's a lot of people with intellectual knowledge about scripture that are far surpassing me, far surpassing every one of us in this room. It doesn't mean that they have a personal relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're actually being changed. Because to know Christ is deep union with him in our inner being that transforms every part of us. Doesn't all happen at once. Wish it, wish it did. But it's no less than that. This is why Paul's picture of baptism in Romans 6 This is one of deep union with Christ when it speaks there of baptism where it says we are united with him in death. We are are united with him in death. Buried with him, it says. And then we are raised with him to eternal life. that, That is the farthest thing from salvation and baptism being some sort of just token thing we do, the check mark that we make in life and go, oh, now I'm good, I've been baptized. It's not that at all. It's not close to the type of union that the spoken of in the New Testament. Baptism is this union with Jesus. I identify with his death. I want to be like him so that I can be raised to life with him. It, it, and, and without that, without that type of union, we will not see deep transformation in our hearts. So in his desire to know Jesus and become like him, Paul speaks of identifying with the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus so that he may lay hold of eternal life. That's what he says here at the end. He says, by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I just, I just, I want to be with Christ. Paul is holding nothing back in trying to communicate the depths of his longing to know Jesus and to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into him and with him. And what he came to see 
is that this desire to be like Jesus must lead to the cross. Because to know Jesus is to become like him. As a Pharisee, this is, what one, this is one little thing that would have absolutely rocked Paul's world. Because as a Pharisee, a person who died on a cross was the ultimate, ultimate example and proof of his shame. That person was cursed. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says so. Jesus was, in Paul's mind as a Pharisee, Jesus was cursed. He was actually exposed as a fraud on the cross. He couldn't be the Messiah. He hung on a cross. That was it for him. That's why Paul in his zeal for God's glory was like, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Jesus is a fraud. But after the Damascus road, everything changed. And that's why for Paul, if you just read him, everything, the cross was central to everything for him. Everything was about the cross. The object of scorn, the object of ridicule, was actually the means by which God displayed the greatness of his power and the depths of his love and mercy. Jesus conquered the power of death by submitting himself to that death. And the same is true of our lives. This is where it meets our lives, folks. The call to follow Jesus is the same path. Paul is not some sort of outlier. Humbling oneself, dying to self, submitting to the will of the Father. But notice here that Paul first speaks of the resurrection in verse 10, before he speaks of sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus has gone before us. And we lay hold of his risen power to help strengthen and lead us through so that we're made to be like him. And baptism is the beginning of that. The desire to follow Jesus, the desire to make him Lord of our lives, laying hold of his resurrection power in our lives. And, and the thing, we didn't read this, but Paul, right in the next verse, he's honest about where he was at. He goes on, this is what he says in verse 12, and I, I'm paraphrasing it here. But he says, look, I, I haven't gotten there yet. He says, I, I haven't taken hold of this yet. I'm not perfect. So he's not saying, look, guys, I've, I've, I'm there. No, he's saying, look, but I'm pressing on. I'm keep, I keep going to make it my own because Jesus made me his own. So I'm not looking backward. I'm straining forward to press on for all that is for me in Jesus. Isn't, isn't that glorious? The way that Paul, he presents it here and then he's like, look, I haven't obtained all this, but man, I sure want it. I sure want this, and I'm going forward in this. And so Paul says to the Philippians, he says, this is the way we're supposed to think about this. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. He says in verse 15, So what do we think about this? What's our response? 
We, we, we could think of the Apostle Paul as an outlier. We could think of his, him as some super duper radical, not for me. A great example, but unrealistic for most of us. As I said at the beginning, I really don't think we should based on scripture. In his first letter to Timothy, so Timothy was one of those, one of his closest friends who Paul mentored. Paul admits that he sees himself Get this, he says, I see myself as the worst of sinners. Paul, he was aware of the depth of his sin. He didn't try to skirt it. He didn't try to justify it. He's like, I am the worst. Without God's mercy and grace, no hope. But he says that in his mercy, Jesus showed his perfect patience to him. And he says, as an example to all who were to believe in Jesus for eternal life. He's the example. What, what God did in Paul is, is the example for us. That's all of us. In Paul, we can see this depth of Jesus' incredible grace. And it leaves us with the implications. No one is beyond the reach of God. No one. There is not a single person on planet earth that is beyond the reaches of God and his incredible grace and mercy. And in any, if we were actually to say that that's not true, it's actually prideful of us. And also it's true that Jesus invites us to respond to his mercy. And so I want to ask us, do, do you believe, do we believe, like so many in scripture, that Jesus is calling you. That Jesus is actually intervening in your world, your world, and wanting to reach you. That he's looking at you going, I want to reach you. This isn't out there somewhere. I want to reach you. You know, there's a number of instances in the New Testament when you go through it. And and do a word study on being called. Just look up being called, called in the New Testament. We are called as saints. We are called out of darkness. We are called to God's glory. We are called as God's children. You may not have had a Damascus Road experience. It doesn't mean that you are any less called. You're called. We are called. So, Where do you find yourself this morning with Jesus? No, really, like where do we find ourselves with Jesus? Just just strip away. Where do we find ourselves right now with Jesus? Do you know him as Paul knew him? Glorious king, exalted over all things, exalted over heaven and earth, but equally that God is a compassionate father who's inviting you into relationship with him. Perhaps you've known about Jesus for years, kind of known about him on the periphery, but you've, you've, you've never responded to that offer of salvation. Perhaps you're following Jesus, but you're like, I am, I am desperate to know him like this. I, I want to know him like that. I want to know him like what these words in Philippians speak of. Perhaps you're hearing this today and, and something 
is in, inside of you stirring, going, I, I gotta know this, Jesus. I need this, Jesus. So wherever you're at, it begins with a desire for more. It begins with a decision to give your life to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, and asking God to help you. And so I want to, as Victor and Raina, as they come and lead us, I, I want to invite us this morning to, wherever we find ourselves, to respond to the call of Jesus. Where is Jesus calling you to you? Where does he want to minister to you? And where is he, is he inviting you to respond? And so as we, as we end in worship, I want to invite you to just to open yourselves up to that, to open your heart up to the Lord, Allow him to minister to you this morning. Father, we, truth is we desperately need you. We desperately, desperately need your presence in our lives. We want more of you, Jesus. I ask that you would come this morning. I ask that you'd minister to us. Lord, would you meet every single person right now, every single woman, every single man, every single child in this room, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are at and where we need to meet you. And God, I thank you that you are big enough and majestic enough and incredible enough that you can do that in this room. You can meet every single one of us personally. Wow. Holy Spirit, we invite you to make us more aware of your presence this morning in our midst. Jesus, would you be glorified? Thank you. Amen.